Easter is just around the corner, and what better way to celebrate the spring season than with a Miki Couture blanket? Whether you're gathering with family for an Easter egg hunt or just enjoying a quiet day at home, Minky blankets are the perfect addition to your Easter festivities. Made with ultra-soft and luxurious materials, these blankets will keep you cozy and comfortable, while their stylish designs will add a touch of spring to your day. And with a wide range of colors and patterns to choose from, there's a Minky blanket for everyone. So this Easter, make your day even brighter with a Minky Couture blanket. Head to MinkyCouture.com now and find your perfect blanket just in time for Easter. Happy Easter from Minky Couture. Alright, let's get this thing started. You're listening to Killer, and this is the case of Sean Great, the Ashland County Killer. Lock your doors, bolt your windows, and turn off the lights. We're about to begin. The latest on the capture of a serial killer in Ohio, Sean Great, expected to appear in court on murder and kidnapping charges after a woman called 911, saying she'd been abducted, leading police to home where they discovered two bodies. ABC's Ryan Smith is on the scene in Ashland, Ohio. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, George. The family of victim Stacy Stanley say they banged on the very door of this home after she went missing. Now it's a memorial site for Stanley and another woman found dead inside. The man charged in their killings, leading police to the remains of a third person as they dig deeper into his criminal past. Police think they know whose body was found behind a torched house in Franklin County. They expect it to be Candace Cunningham of Canton, Ohio. The 29-year-old was never reported missing but was in a relationship with Sean Great. He's the man investigators are calling a serial killer. Another woman says Great was helpful the day she moved in. She said he was kind of creepy, and now she's rather freaked out. And ever since then, I have been kind of terrified to step outside at night. All in your neighborhood? All in my neighborhood. Never happened in this neighborhood. It freaks me out. Here's a breakdown of what Great is linked to now. He's charged with two counts of murder for the bodies found in a home in Ashland. He apparently confessed to killing a woman in Marion County in the early 2000s. Her body was found in 2007. She has not been identified, however. Police say he also led them to a body in Richland County. Investigators are still awaiting DNA tests there, but all signs point to that being Candace Cunningham, Great's one-time girlfriend. And since all of this, Mansfield police have reopened an investigation into a woman's death there. They originally suspected Rebecca Lisi died of an overdose. Prosecutors reveal gruesome details about the deaths of two of his alleged victims, including how their bodies were hidden inside of an Ashland home. News 5's Bob Jones live at the Ashland County Courthouse tonight. And Bob, a BCI agent was on the stand for most of the day today. Well, Danita, he spent hours inside that home back on September 13, 2016. And today he gave a lot of details about crime scene photos and about where those women were found in two different parts of the home. When Sean Great was arrested in the fall of 2016 inside a Covert Street home in Ashland, investigators had no idea what deadly secrets he may have been hiding. One woman who said she was kidnapped by Great called 911 and was rescued by police. Black duct tape was all over an upstairs bedroom closet door and there was a horrible smell. 
Significant odor, yes. Describe it, please. It was deplorable. Inside the closet and under a pile of clothing was the body of Liz Griffith. Prosecutors believe she had been strangled. Staley testified Griffith was naked, her body badly decomposing, and it appeared her arms and legs were tied. And on the concrete floor of the basement, another horrific find. The body of Stacy Hicks, under a blanket and piles of trash. Also a victim of strangulation. Item of cloth. I don't really know if it was clothing, but... It was a ligature or a binding or a restraint that was around the neck of that human corpse. The suspected serial killer showed little emotion as Staley identified other pieces of evidence found inside that Ashland house of horrors and displayed for the jury, including Stacey Hicks's car keys and weapons, a stun gun and brass knuckles that may have been used against the victims. Prosecutors say Great has confessed to killing both Griffith and Hicks and his confession tape is expected to be played during the trial, which could last more than a month. And Sean Great, sentenced to death, the convicted Ashland killer learned his fate today in a packed courtroom with a sea of purple honoring those victims' lives. Channel 3's Amani Abraham was there as the victims' family spoke. You know, I've been waiting a long time to see you, man. Following weeks of Sean Great's murder trial, families of the victims didn't hold back their words when they spoke directly to the man convicted of killing Stacey Stanley and Elizabeth Griffith, both found dead in his home as a third woman escaped. You know, you took advantage of that woman and my mother like they were nothing. That doesn't make you a tough guy. It just makes you evil. Hours before he would learn his fate, Great spoke directly to the victim's families. I can't say I'm normal, but you know, I know right from wrong. I ask you maybe forgive me. Find your heart someday. I know not today, but someday. His words followed by more than an hour of victim impact statements, family expressing their heartache left behind, and a feeling that his punishment does not fit the crime. Real justice would be for you to come with me for about five minutes, burn in hell. You are evil. God tells me to forgive you. And only because he said it, I'll forgive you, but I don't feel it in my heart. You're a sadistic murderer. Death by lethal injection. Court the judge's ruling followed the jury's recommendation. Court further orders that each of the death penalties be carried out by appropriate authorities on September 13, 2018, which would be the two-year anniversary of uh, Mr. Great's discovery. And as family embraced one another, they gathered on the steps of the courthouse, singing Amazing Grace before releasing balloons in honor of the women. There are still unanswered questions because family believes there are more victims. Great is suspected of killing two other women in Richland County, where prosecutors there say they plan to pursue a case against him. In Ashland, I'm Annie Abraham, Channel 3 News. Sean Great was born in Marion, Ohio on August 8, 1976. Nearly six years later, Great's parents finalized their divorce on August 6, 1982, with Teresa McFarlane, Sean's mother, acquiring custody. McFarlane later gave up custody of Sean and his older brother Ronald to their father, Terry Great, on June 28, 1994. Sean's first known arrest is on November 24, 1994. With this arrest, Sean is accused of assaulting his girlfriend at the time, who is trying to leave the relationship claiming past physical abuse. A few months after his first arrest, Sean graduates from River Valley High School near Marion, Ohio. Great graduated 
to a felony of unrelated domestic issues on October 96 when he and a juvenile committed burglary. He was sentenced to four years in prison in February of 97, although he received early release seven months later. His violence escalated in 1999 when he was 22. That's when Great's 17-year-old girlfriend, who was two months pregnant with his child, told police Great choked her until she almost passed out. Great spent less than a month in jail for the incident, the teen's family sought a restraining order against him, though the ex-girlfriend asked the judge to remove the no-contact order a few months later. So <clears throat> early on, you see that, you know, he's got a little bit of a troubled beginning, you know, and, you know, bouncing around from the parents and such and going back and forth. And then, you know, he comes <laughs> he comes into his own in his, you know, early 20s over there getting, you know, beating his girlfriend and, and uh, you know, getting in trouble. So he starts out you know, life not on a good footing. Yeah, the domestic violence, it picks up early. And, you know, at 22, he's already developing that pattern of, you know, abusing his, you know, people that he's in a relationship with and, you know, choking them. I I don't know. You, you hear this story a lot of times about the broken home and, you know, what problems it causes. But, you know, the escalation we'll see as we get through this is it just... The pattern is there, and I, I can't say that you know, the further removed he is from, you know, the broken home, I don't know if that's necessarily a contributing factor, but, you know, you, you start seeing it early. And and crazy thing, the only thing that really stood out to me with this, this first arrest and getting the restraining order against his girlfriend is he's 22 at the time, and um, his girlfriend who's pregnant with his seven, you know, with his child at 17, you know, I don't know what, I, I'm not well-versed on the laws of, you know, the statutory rape convictions or whatever but she's not 18 yet so yeah i know i believe in ohio and i don't know what it was in 99 but i'm pretty sure consent is 16 years old okay so you can consent at 16 still i mean you know that's just a child and you know when you when you really look at it like they're not even in the range where like he could have been a senior and she was a freshman like they fall out of that range even so to me that's kind of always the barometer i look at these things under even though there is a strange cutoff when you're in your early 20s and then dating somebody in their late teens because there is a point in time where you could be 18 and they could be, you know, 14 or 15 and you could still be in high school together and that's not weird, but the moment that you turn 19 and head out to college and that person becomes 16 <laughs> then or or 15, you know, then then it's strange. So I always try and like at least look at that and go, "Hmm, could they have been in school together?" And kind of give a little bit of a leeway there, even though I still personally find it weird. Because what does a 22-year-old have in common with a 17-year-old? Yeah, and, and you're right. The barometer seems logical. I, I He could have physically, or he could have technically been out of college already. and She could have still been a senior in high school. So, I mean. Yeah, she could have even been a junior in high school. Right, yeah. You know, like she's in that, they're in those weird age, age ranges right there. And it's just one of those things where... People put a lot of emphasis on that, but you have to kind of look at it that way at first, even though it is still weird. Like, you know, is it something that personally I would have done at that age? No, I would not have dated somebody in high school. I just, that's just not my personality. And I think it's strange and I don't have anything in common with high school kids when I'm in college. Like there's just not going, a lot going on there, you know? So it's just, I always look at it that way first because everybody's a little bit different than me. You know, we're not all the same, but then even here, you're a little bit outside of that range and to me, that's a bit strange, and who knows how long they've been seeing each other prior to that. Uh, maybe probably not very long. I'm guessing they don't make very good life decisions. So yeah. They probably got pregnant quite quickly. I don't know the, the 
details on that, but you know what I mean. Right. Yeah. And the 16 year old, uh, age to consent. That, that sounds that's still even even though that's the law that sounds a little bit creepy to me i mean it's not as creepy i i worked with a guy one time who who resided in alabama and he said they had a, a 14 year old um common law law where that you could basically be in a common law relationship with a 14 year old and it was completely legal you're technically married oh my god so yeah <laughs> that's a strange thing we're in a weird time right now where you know, as a human race in a developed nation, we have laws on our books that were based off of, you know, half a century ago or more where it was like, yeah, when you were 18 back then, you were a man. But now you're not even close. Like you're approaching 30 before you're a man anymore. You know, in my mind, there's a lot less focus of responsibility of what like a family man would be at, at in the early 20s as opposed to how it was, you know. 40, 50, 60 years ago. So even now, like 18 to me, you're just a little child still. Like you're still not even close to an adult in my mind. And we have a lot of laws on our books that allow 18-year-olds to do things, you know, because they're now considered legally adults. However, think anymore, they're still mentally not adults. We don't put that kind of burden on these kind of people. They're not thinking that way. There's like still more to do. Like for in a lot of cases, there's like still four more years of school to go through. So I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to do the quote unquote adulting yet you know, and I just have to go to college now and go screw off for four years and get my degree. And, you know, so like, that's just how I feel like I've always been one of those people who was always more like, I guess, more mature in that way. Not like I've always just been kind of focused on like things that most people would seem like is like just normal stuff that you would do. You know, like I, I didn't have a time period in my life where I screwed around and like went out and partied really hard and did a lot of drugs. Like I met my wife in high school. We've been together ever since. Like I knew what I wanted, um, you know, from, from that day and move forward. And like, you know, just then it was get my degree, get my job, get my house, move on. Like I was always striving towards that next thing, like in adult, in the adult lane where there are a lot of people who don't, you know, they go kind of the other way around. They're like, oh, I'm going to take this time to screw around and do whatever, which is great if that's what you want to do. I, I don't have a preference either way. That's just my personality works the other direction. So, you know, here in this case, you know, you've got these people where they're, getting together and they're pretty young, you know, and, and making poor decisions right off the rip. And, you know, it's just one of those, I, I don't know. It just showed to me, it shows just like, just really, really poor decision-making skills just right away. That's the giant red flag I'm coming away with right here. And not to mention the domestic violence piece of it, but just even the sheer numbers of the situation, 17, 22 and pregnant. Yeah. To me, it shows immaturity and, you know, and poor decision-making. So not to be judgmental of people that are in that situation, because I'm sure there's plenty of people in that situation where they make it work, they make it a relationship and they make it their, you know, their life from that point forward. But it, it still, to me, seems a little bit, you know, off of the norm. So, yep, yep, they sure do. Women always found Sean great irresistible. He was charming. He was always smiling and he had those big blue eyes. All the girls liked Sean, said Amy Smith, who knew Great as a teenager in Marion. Great's mother was also quoted as saying, Yes, he's good-looking, but the devil's good-looking too, she reportedly told the Daily Mail. He ain't got no red horns and all that stuff. You find out he's charming, and of course that charm can charm the pants off of anybody. Despite this overwhelming and natural charm, several people who have met Great in recent years described him as lazy and unwilling to work, preferring to take advantage of either vulnerable women or kind people, especially if they had money. Great always mistook kindness for weakness, 
said Wally Tord, a Mansfield businessman and landlord who witnessed Great try to move in with some of his female tenants. He exploited kind people, Tord said. So again, back to kind of the immaturity right there, the unwillingness to work, um, lazy, those kinds of things. You know, when you're lazy and unwilling to work, those dis- the, the, the preceding section of bad decisions tends to follow you around. Like that's just the things that happen to you. You watch the kind of people who constantly are falling on their ass or constantly getting in trouble. Yeah, sometimes you have bad breaks. But those are the people who let their mind slip into the 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 mindset of woe is me, I'm now I'm now going to fuck off. This is the license I need to fuck off and not try hard anymore. And this is and then then you see these poor decisions just unravel over and over and over again. And so you know th- this is a prime example of that. And and not to mention, it sounds like this this guy great. It sounds like he may or may not have known that you know. Hey, I'm a pretty good looking dude. I can take advantage of, advantage of these people, advantage of these women who are, you know, seeking a little bit more attention or, you know, seeking certain things. It sounded like he was opportunistic in a lot of ways, or that was starting to develop his pattern of being opportunistic, you know, preying on some of these women that are a little bit more vulnerable. He knew that he could, you know, get himself involved with them in a relationship and, you know, take advantage of certain factors. Yeah, and there's people like that all over the place, and they're just looking. They're, they're like, you know, like a succubus, and they're just waiting for their host, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they just leech off of them until they run dry, and then they move on. Amy Smith, Great's teenage friend, believes he might have begun to experience mental health issues by his late 20s. He would put all of his effort into a project, and she's quoted as saying he would work as hard as he could, then a couple weeks later abandon the effort. He would just give up on everything. Smith said a female friend of hers who dated Great before both before 99 and after finally broke up with him because of erratic behavior. She'd been concerned that he wasn't acting right. He would get very, very depressed, my girlfriend would say. He is not even wanting to get off the couch. It's been days. Tristan Kilgallen, an assistant professor of criminal justice at Ohio Northern University, who teaches a class on serial killers, states, He seems to be involved in nonviolent crime except when dealing with females, especially those he's intimate with. They, great's girlfriends, are getting younger. Why? Are they easier to manipulate? Kilgallen asked. He chokes her. This is up close and personal. Great's second child was born on September 11th, 1999. A new baby didn't seem to help the couple's relationship. About a month after his son's birth, Great approached the baby's mother and her sister with a butcher knife. In a struggle over the knife, his ex-girlfriend sustained a severe cut to her finger. Great was also cut several times. He steps it up, Kilgallen said of the attack. He's using a weapon now. The incident led to Great's longest stint of incarceration, In 2000, his early release was revoked, and a judge sentenced him to serve the remainder of his original four-year sentence. Yeah, so, I mean, now the violence is starting to escalate at this point, and, you know, he's supposedly mentally unstable by now. Do we have any info on if he started doing drugs or was doing drugs to begin with? I don't know that we have any info on that, but his his mother alluded in some of the, the research that I read that she feels that incarceration and drug use, I don't know if she was referring to drug use, you know, when he was incarcerated or when he was simply, you know, out in the general public led to some of this, you know, kind of downfall and decline. But his mother alluded to it, but I don't know if we have any actual, I didn't see any drug convictions or anything from an arrest record standpoint. Yeah, I never came across anything that explicitly said he was doing drugs, but I always felt like he looked like he was on drugs, like especially when he gets caught. They, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier where they say his irresistible looks. I mean, I don't know. 
I looked at this guy and just thought he looked like a, just a normal dude from Ohio. Like he, he didn't look that. So maybe where he does come from, it's uh he's a prize. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I don't know if you can tie some of those pictures to his drug use, but you can see a radical change, and we'll, we'll have to get some of those pictures in our timeline. But you you can see a radical change from. You, I think there's a picture out there of, of him in high school. You know, you see a, this young kid. You know, he's sitting on a couch with his arm up on the back of it or whatever, and then. You fast forward to a couple of his um, mug shots or, you know, photos after being released from prison. There's a rapid swing in this guy's looks. You know, he he's a fairly slender guy in his early days. He goes into prison. He comes out. He's beefed up. I don't know if it's because he's getting, you know, the free three meals a day and a place to sleep and not really doing nothing. He's getting put on a lot of weight or if he's working out when he's in jail, because that's the only thing he does. But right, his looks, you know, they take a kind of a radical swing over time and you can see that and especially right up to the time he's arrested it's crazy how you see him change just over those you know what is it 10 10 to 15 year period yeah yeah exactly he you know he he does have a radical transformation and then when he's you know on trial again like you see you know he looks filled out again like he he just kind of goes downhill and, and then back up again so it's uh it's weird to look at, you know, I mean, but it makes sense the way things are going in his life and the way he looks. And, you know, we'll get into a lot of that here coming up, but you know, it's just one of those things I noticed about him that I thought was, you know, was a bit strange. Yeah, definitely. Great was released in January, 2003 by October. Great again, got in trouble with the mother of his second child who accused him of choking her and forcing her to perform a sex act on him. Although he was not charged with sexual assault, Great was charged with two counts of misdemeanor domestic violence and returned to prison for seven months before being released in May 2004. For the next several years, records show Great was involved in minor issues with the law, although he now admits to killing an unidentified woman in Marion, Ohio during 2005. Christina Hildreth, the five-year girlfriend Great met in 2005, said after they began living together, Great was upset her children were with, with them as well and characterized him as mentally abusive for the most part although there were some incidents of violence. The worst came in June 2010, she said. Hildreth told Bucyrus police officers she'd been assaulted repeatedly by Great, including multiple blows to the face and being grabbed by the throat. Part of her hand was also fractured when she said she raised it to defend herself. She eventually convinced Great to let her go to the emergency room, and she initially told staff she had fallen. When Great left her alone in the room with a nurse, she was able to tell the hospital staff what really had happened according to a report. Police were notified, but Great took off running and escaped arrest that day. He was apprehended four days later when Hildreth told police that she believed Great was hiding inside of her couch and officers found him there. Great was sentenced to 180 days in jail for first-degree misdemeanor domestic violence, but still called her from jail in violation of a protection order. And can I ask you, how do you hide in a couch? <laughs> I, I thought the same thing when I, when I wrote that into the story. I'm wondering if it wasn't like a one of those fold-out sofas that had had the bed removed. And going back to our episode where we were talking about the hollowed-out book with the gun in it <laughs> with Philip Markoff, yeah. Man, this guy took it to the next level and, and hollowed out a couch to hide in. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I was, <laughs> I was reading that, you know, and uh, <laughs> the first time I read over this, I see hiding in a couch. <laughs> I'm like, how does one hide in a couch? That's the, that's the only thing I can... In- I can get out of the the story is that's what he did, but you know, I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> Hildreth also said that he sent letters addressed to her cats. 
She left him after that June incident and said that she believes it saved her life. She's quoted as saying, Before that night, I feared he would kill me, she said. That night only strengthened that fear. I now believe more than ever I had not left him. If I had not left him, I would be dead, or one of my children would be. Yeah, so this dude has just, like, psychopath behavior now, like, kicking into full gear. And he, you know, he was obviously doing bad stuff prior to this, but then it just starts, you know, you're watching it just slowly escalate up, just that little bit at a time. And so now we're to the point where he's starting to get really, really scary to the people that he's attacking. Because prior to this, we don't hear of any mention of people thinking they were actually going to die. Like, it was just an abuse situation so you know this is where you know where you start watching this this turning of his mentality start to happen and then things just start getting very serious at this point yeah and i believe in here he'd already um this is where he had already um murdered that woman in marion right yeah and that was what was interesting about the timeline he he later you know as we alluded to there had we find out he admitted to killing someone in, in Marion in 2005, but right at the same time, Hildreth is saying, you know, I, you know, I feel like he could have killed me or one of my kids. So she obviously sees signs that he's taken a turn for the worse, but you know, unknowing to her, he's already killed somebody. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why, that's exactly what I was getting at was, you know, she's stressing. Like I felt like I was going to die after I started looking back at this. And lo and behold, he'd already murdered a woman. And so she was probably really accurate in her assessment. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wish I could have found more information, you know, you know, a detailed report of why she felt that way or what other signs that she saw. I really didn't see that, but, and I don't want to keep making light of this case or, you know, cracking jokes about it, but hopefully the turning point wasn't when he was sending letters to her cats. <laughs> that's oh, kind of, cr- that's yeah, kind of well, crazy. Well, that's the thing. It you know obviously it's it's a really bad case overall like all the things that happened but some of the stuff this guy's doing like hiding in a couch writing letters to a cat like just these things are strange and it's hard not to laugh at them because you can't imagine yourself like doing those things for real so they sound like it sounds like something out of Step Brothers yeah you know like if they were to do the Step Brothers sequel like one of them ends up in jail starts writing letters to the other guy's cat and then the other one you know he gets caught hiding in a couch <laughs> like that's how he gets arrested like it sounds like a stupid movie plot yeah no it it, <laughs> it definitely sounds like some lampooning but it's just yeah it, it it attributes to the mental behavior aspect of it i think uh, absolutely it just shows you he's just clearly lost his mind at this point yep the first murder that he admitted to goes all the way back to 2005 or 2006 great tells investigators there was a woman in marion who was selling magazines door to door his mother never received her order so when great saw the woman again he lured her into his car saying he wanted to buy magazines he ended up killing her and dumping her body in northeast of marion on victory road it would be at least a year until her body was found by a man looking for cans in the woods she is the only jane doe in this case Great, while in custody, was able to point on a map exactly where he had dumped Jane Doe, and it matched where the body was found years earlier. Investigators are hoping someone will come forward to identify this woman, who was selling magazines door-to-door in 2005 or 2006 in Marion. The next case possibly connected to Great doesn't happen until 2015. The Marion County Sheriff is questioning the time gap between murder one and two, saying a killer generally won't wait that long before they do it again. In this case, Rebecca Lacey went missing on February of 2015, and her body wasn't found until March 2015, dumped off on a road in Ashland near Route 30. At the time, of the, the investigators ruled that it was an overdose, but they said it was suspicious. The case has now been reopened after Great told authorities that he strangled her. So 
you know, again, here, here he is, you know, another attack. And like they mentioned, the huge time gap between, you know, 2005 or 2006 and 2015, you know, so you're talking like nine or 10 years. And that typically isn't normal for a serial killer. They will kill multiple times. And typically you just don't know about it. And it's something that they're just not connecting or, you know, I've seen this so many times doing research on these cases where you've got uh, Alcala is a perfect example. He, you know, case number five, if you haven't listened, go listen now. Um, if, uh, you know, when he murdered somebody, you know, he was doing it in different counties and jurisdictions and this was in the seventies. Now this, now here we're in the two thousands, but still police aren't the best at communicating with each other. We've realized these departments work better together now than they ever have, but there's still some level of miscommunication or lack of communication between departments. So they're, you know, they could have a hard time connecting the dots. We'll throw a map of the case in here so you can look and see where the different things happen. And, you know, we'll probably throw that up around this time in the audio. So if you have a player that supports chapters, take a look at your chapters now. There's probably a map there for you to look at. And if not, head out to our website and we'll put it up there in the blog. Anyway, um, you know, so you'll see like these are in different counties within Ohio and they're not all right next to each other. And so that's probably why they're not connecting these things. But there's probably more than just this. Yeah, I totally agree. They're they're not adjacent counties, but we're still talking about uh, um, an area that's you know within a one hour driving distance. You know, if you made the round trip, you're you're, you're still in a pretty tight knit circle, and and we'll, we'll see that on the map. Yeah, I I don't I don't buy it that there's ten years gone by and this guy hasn't killed someone else. And, and as far as I know, he he still has only admitted to you know when we get to the end of this case, we know that there's five victims that he's, you know, 100% confessed to. But, you know, time will tell if if more come out. I don't, it would be an interesting, you know, case study to go and look at that 10-year period and look at cold cases within that, within that triangulation on the map to see if there's anything else in there that could possibly be. I, I'm sure detectives have done that homework now, and I, but I really haven't heard of anything that's came of that. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Yeah, they haven't seemed to be able to pin anything to him during that time span. But the thing is, like, you know, he admitted to these things. To the, the police had no idea except for what they discover when we get to that point. And he just straight up admits to these people later. And it would surprise me a little bit if there were more that he just didn't admit to for some random reason. But also, like, I don't know. Like I said, if he was strung out, during this period, there's a potential that he was killing people and not even remembering that he did it. Mm-hmm, right. And so, or, you know, or there might be more, more to the story. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. It, it could be the, it could be drug related or it could have just been a mental health issue at that point. You know, he killed his first person. Then what's, what's to say he didn't go off of the, the mental deep end for lack of better words. Right. And just, you know, completely was off on his own little world those 10 years and doesn't like you said doesn't recollect anything that he did yeah absolutely it's you know it's one of those things like he could have easily just like lost his mind but he just doesn't you know he doesn't choose to go around and um 
you know, like tell anybody about it. Right. It's a mental, a mental block. Or he doesn't remember. Yeah. Or he doesn't remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So jump ahead another year. Case number three is that of Candace Cunningham. She was never reported missing, but family thought she had moved to North Carolina in April of 2016. Great confessed to killing her. And on the day he was taken into custody, he was taken to the Mansfield and showed authorities where he had dumped the body in the woods behind a home. He told him that he killed her sometime in June of 2016. Then the cases speed up. His fourth victim appears to be Elizabeth Griffith. She was last seen in August of 2016, although family didn't report her missing until September 8th. She was one of the two bodies found inside the home in Ashland on September 13th, 2016. The most recent victim would have been Stacy Stanley. The Stanley family told us great helped change a tire for her and she gave him a ride she was the second body found in the home in ashland so at this point you know now now things are, are real we've got several bodies um you know we've we've you know this dude is he's a bad dude um it just keeps getting worse you know as you go through this timeline and and he's he's clearly lost it and you know it it's just scary to think that these people are out there you know he helps a woman change her tire and then you know again here he is taking advantage of kindness and then you know murders her later yeah and the thing i found interesting about that that third case that you just read or the details on her family Candace Cunningham's family didn't report her missing and you know I don't know the details behind that. I don't know if, you know, she wasn't real close with her family and was kind of a drifter and would bounce back and forth from place to place. But that kind of corroborates your story about that 10-year gap. We just don't know what the details of those 10 years are. He, he could have came across women in the same situation where their family wasn't really close to them and they really, you know, weren't keeping tabs on them. So if there are any cold cases, we simply just don't know. Yeah, and I, I, I keep going back to... You know, he he admitted to the to these to a lot of these, right? Just straight up confessed to them when he was captured, and then if there's if there are more, it just seems a bit strange. Like I don't know, maybe he cleaned up his act after the first one and started getting his life back together, and then lost it again. I mean, I don't know. I, I it's hard to speculate because I do know that for a while there, he was going to church and you know he met like one of his um i don't know if she was a wife or she, i think she was she ended up i think they got married yeah um he met his wife at church and you know like seemed, seemed to be on the up and up but he still had a lot of the stuff in his background where like he i don't think he had a car or you know stuff like that and some sketchy signs but she thought like oh this is a good you know godly man he's going to church and stuff and uh you know maybe he was really trying to clean himself up because he seems like he has the ability to play two sides, you know, with his personality issues, his mental health issues, where it's like he can be that person that he knows he should be, but then he has the separate person that wants to do these bad things. Yeah. And can you imagine the inner turmoil that somebody, and I'm not talking about just great specifically, but somebody that that's done terrible things, has beat, assaulted women, you know, and at this point, he's killed you know four people what kind of inner turmoil do you have and and i don't know that the him going to church and trying to clean his life up i don't know exactly where that falls into this timeline but he's he's already killed you know one or two people and he's trying to clean himself up but what what kind of inner struggle do you have with you know thinking to yourself that church can get you on the right path it, it can in most cases i'm not knocking it but to to the extent of some of the things that he did yeah it's the the 
the light side and the dark side in this guy's, you know, mentality has just got to be off the charts. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the picture I'm trying to paint here is you've got this inner struggle that you can clearly see with him where he's got this dark side, but he knows, he knows the light side's the right way to go, but that dark side just takes over him sometimes. And just, so maybe there was a period of time where he was able to just rein it in. Cause again, I go back to when he admitted this stuff later, you know, it's like, how do you admit to this? And then leave out a 10 year gap. If there, I feel like he would have admitted to something in there. Yeah. And maybe that's just, maybe that's how he's clearing his conscience. He has no, as we'll see when we get to the end of this case, he has no problem identifying the victims, you know, explicit details on where bodies were dumped, how things happened is crazy. Yeah, exactly. On September 13th, 2016, an unidentified woman calls 911 to report being held by great in a vacant house in Ashland, Ohio. We are now going to take a few minutes to play this 911 call, which was placed the day Sean Great was arrested. And at the time, two unidentified bodies are discovered in that vacant home. And right before we play this, I just wanted to put a disclaimer out there that this is quite long. It's a little over 15 minutes, but I've, I did go through and edit this once and then decide, and, and decided that I, I kind of like it unedited because there's a lot of, there are a lot of long silences in this clip. However, I feel like it takes away from the clip when you take them out. So I know it's kind of long, but this tells the story of the day that they find this guy. And I feel like it's just, it's the, it's the critical point in this story. So take a listen to this and uh, let us know what you think. Nine one one. What is the address to your emergency? Five the plus street laundry mat. What is it? Four street laundry mat. What's the problem? I've been abducted. Who abducted you? John Green. You said John Green. Sean Great. Where's he at now? Asleep. Where's he sleeping at? In the bedroom. In what bedroom? There's two houses right by the laundry street. And it's in one of those houses. But you're at the laundromat? No, I'm I'm in the bedroom with them. What color's the house? Is it oh, if I'm looking at the laundromat, which way is it? You're looking in the laundry mat, on the left of the two. You don't know what color the house is? No. Please hurry. Does he have a car? No. Mom, he sat down the street. What's your phone number you're calling me from? I don't know. Can you think it's a yellow house? I think so, but it's on the left. Is it an apartment? No, it's a house. Okay, does he own the house? No, he broke into it. Does anybody actually live there? I think they've been abandoned. And his name is Sean Great? Yes. Like G-R-A-T-E? Yes. 
Does he have a weapon? What does he look like? Is he a white male or black male? Is he like six foot or is he shorter than that? He's like six one, six two. Do you know how much he weighs? Probably one seventy five. Are you injured? A little. What color is his hair? Brown. Do you know what color his eyes are? What's he wearing? Nothing right now. Okay, stay in the hall with me. Stay in the line with me, okay? Is he still sleeping? Yes. Where did he take you from? My, my apartment. I mean, I was walking with him. You were walking with him? Mm -hmm. Or were you walking to? I've known him for like a month and a half. Is there any way you can get out of the building? I don't know without waking him and I'm scared. Okay, is there a bathroom in the, the house? Well, his bedroom is closed and he made it so it would make noise. But if you told him you had to go to the bathroom, he would do something to you? Yeah, because he had me tied up. So are you tied up now? Well, I, yeah, but I kind of freed myself. in the same room with you? Yes. Is it his phone you have? Yes. Are they on the way? No, we have officers we're sending. Okay. Please send Okay, if, you, if you're worried you don't have to talk, you can just set the phone down, okay? I just need to hear if the officers find you or not. Okay. Are you upstairs or are you downstairs? We're downstairs. There's a door. There's a side door on the right of the left house, and that's where we enter. Just immediately, there's a kitchen right there, and then the bedroom is right, right off from the kitchen. Okay. Do you need an ambulance? Are you bleeding from anywhere? Not anymore. Where were you bleeding from?
You don't have to talk if you don't need to, okay? Do you know where he lives? Any officers outside? No. Okay, they're in the area. See if they can come in the side door still, like um. Okay. Is there a padlock on the bedroom door, or is it just a regular lock? No, no, I don't even, I don't even know if it's locked. It's so. Can you get up and see if you can get out? House open? I don't know, probably. Maybe. I don't think he has a key, I'm not sure. I think he broke in here. Can you see out any window that you're at? that noise?
is on the first floor. Are you at the house closest to the laundromat or the other one? Are you the one closest to the laundromat or the other one? You were standing in the laundromat looking at the two houses that would be on the left. Here, look out of the laundromat. So if you're looking at the laundromat, it'd be the one on the right. At the laundromat. If you're looking at the laundromat, it'd be the one on the left. Side door. Side door. And the side door. The side door to the right. Okay, I can hear him. You can hear him? Yes, I can. Okay, do you think you can get out? Yeah. Door doesn't have a doorknob. Can you see them? He said, "Push the door." Are they on the other side of the door? Yeah, I think so. She said, "How do you guys push the door?" There's no doorknob there. Just push it. Can you get out of the bedroom? Can you hear anybody right now? She heard the side door open. You're out. Okay, can you get to the door where you can see out? Huh? Can you get out of the house? It's locked. Are you at the door? Yeah, I am. She's at the door. You're on the door to the right-hand side of the house. She's at the door on the right side of the house. She got out of the bedroom. Is there a window there? Yeah, I'm looking out. If they come, they'll come back. She said, hurry, hurry. She said to hurry up and come back. Yeah, they can see me if they it's come locked. through it. The door is locked. No, the bedroom door had no door handle. This one, see, it's locked. You can't get out. Can you unlock the door at all? Come out, come out, hurry up, hurry up, get out of here. Where is it? Bedroom sleeping. Bedroom sleeping? Yeah. Okay, they have her. Get one on her arm. On her arm? Yeah. You need to go. Hey,
in its entirety i know it's long but man you put yourself in that woman's shoes she's in the room with him on the phone trying to <laughs> trying to get in touch with 911 and not wake him up the whole time i mean that 15 minutes had to seem like an absolute eternity to this woman yeah and had only the authorities known you know what they know now in hindsight i, I i'm sure when it, their 911 call was originally taken you know it, it they probably responded to it like it was a domestic violence call. You know, there, there was, there was a sense of urgency there, you know, when you heard him come through the door, but if they had known that there was, you know, potentially two dead bodies in that house, I have a feeling that that whole, that whole scene would have played out much, much quicker. Yeah. That's a good point. I didn't really think about that, but yeah, the response time is a little slow, but I mean, I don't know. You're from the area. So do you have an idea of like how far away that place is from where like, the police station is um less than two minutes okay yeah close yeah but it's it, it's in a part of town where if they were going to get a domestics you know violence call or you know a dispute it's not something out of the ordinary for that neighborhood where they were called to so right. I, I think that's a contributing factor to the response time you know they they're probably thinking oh it's just another couple um you know, hashing something out, you know, they don't know what they're walking into. So I, I give them a little bit of a pass on that one. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't disagree. And, and she doesn't really know, I don't think, or say like he's killed anybody. She, she just, it, it does come across like a domestic dispute case and he's, you know, sleeping. So, um, to me, it's like, I could see where they're like, okay, this is like a routine domestic abuse house call let's let's go not that you take those lightly but it's not like when you have some of those like life-threatening emergencies the police put their sirens on and they haul ass down the road um you know in this case they don't really know that that's what they're walking into right so yeah i mean i, I would definitely i i'm not scrutinizing the response time to that level i was just more saying like being that girl making that phone call and just like think about 15 minutes like sitting there listening to it was felt like a long time but I've also heard it several times already. So listening to it again, you know, it's like, okay, I've heard this several times now. It felt like it forever. But then when you're, um, when you're in the room with a murderer <laughs> and he's been torturing you for days, uh, you know, that 15 minutes probably felt like, you know, like a month. Yeah. Do you think that she knew that there were two bodies in the house already, or he had just lured her there? Because I think, you know, one of the bodies was found in a closet buried under a pile of clothes and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I think the other one might've been in the basement. 
she could she might yeah, not have known that there were dead bodies in there but you kind of think though after a couple days a- unless you've smelt that smell you're gonna know something ain't right yeah i don't know um i, I don't think she knew she probably suspected like you're saying she probably smelled the, the and and if you see pictures of the crime scene like that house like it's just a mess it's like this just, I mean, it's disgusting. There's just crap everywhere. Piles of trash and dirt, clothes all over the floor. It's like a house on hoarders, you know? Like, it's just disgusting inside. And, uh, you know, maybe she thought it was just like a dead animal that got lost inside the trash somewhere. Yeah, and a little bit of backstory to those houses, since I do live in the area. I know that they were they were not occupied by families or whatnot. They were owned by, I'm, I'm not going to name any names, but they were, they were owned by a not- not-for-profit organization in this area. Um, I don't know if it was a couple of houses that they may have been using for storage or, or what their real purpose was, but I know that the nonprofit owned them and they do a lot of work with the community as far as, you know, helping with clothes and food and things like that for less fortunate. But um, he, he had broken into that house. It was locked up more like it had been not necessarily foreclosed on, but it had been locked up by the organization and was not in use. So once he helped himself in there, I'm sure a lot of that mess was attributed to him, you know, tearing through shit, looking for clothes to wear and whatever he could use in there. And then we, we heard that he had, she said that he had done something to the bedroom to make it quiet. Didn't really elaborate, but I don't know if he was taping <laughs> off the, the edges of the doors or what he was doing, but yeah. Yeah, and that's in and and you're speaking to that. Yeah, his that house was it was vacant and he did break into it and just trash that place. And and she says in the 911 call like she couldn't get out of the room because he rigged the door to make noise. So he probably like tied a bunch of cans or something to the door on the outside or something so that as soon as she'd move it it would just make all sorts of racket and wake him up. I'm the whole time I heard this call, every time I've listened to it, I always wonder Whose phone is she using? Oh, she's using his phone. He left his cell phone available. It's his cell phone? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. But it was one of those things that I just kept wondering, like, did he not know that she had her phone somewhere near her? Or did he leave his, like, an idiot right next to her? No, I think he left his phone accessible. And he probably thought that, you know, from having bound these other victims that she wasn't going to get out, but somehow she managed to slip free, at least her hands, you know, and then got a hold of his phone. And obviously it wasn't a smartphone with a lock because she was able to probably flip it open and just dial 911. Well, really, even a smartphone, you can dial 911 regardless. So it doesn't really yeah. matter. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. So it was, uh, that's, you know, that's a scary, scary event. And, you know, it, it's really the end of the case for the most part, right? I mean, um, you know, it culminates there at, at that point. They catch him. He admits to several other things, like right away, the police go investigate. Um, you know, so from from that standpoint, um, you know, we wanted to kind of move into the Q&A that the police have with him. The following is a question and answer interview with Great in Ashland County Jail. Cleveland 19 News reporter was not allowed to bring any recording devices into the interview. The following is a Q&A transcribed from the reporter's knowledge, but is not verbatim. David and I now will cover this Q&A with David assuming the role of the Cleveland 19 reporter and myself as Sean Great during this interview. Anything you'd like to say before we get started? I'm learning this was out of behavior for me. I had to cover everything up. It was tearing me up all those years, knowing what I had done. 
I've had these thoughts like, dang, I had to face myself every day. Were there any influences that you were exposed to, like the show Dexter? What's that? It's a show about a forensic scientist for the Miami Police Department, and when the bad guys get away, he's a vigilante and he kills them. I've never heard about that. I didn't have any influences. It was all internalized. I feel like I always prayed to God. It's hard to forgive yourself. You have your moments. Let's talk about these women. You confessed to murdering a woman in 2005, believed to be named Dana or Diane. She was trying to sell me magazines. I remember her trying to sell them to me. Me and my mom would be on the porch and she'd try to sell them. My mom said she wasn't getting her scriptions delivered. What was her name? Dana or Diane? I know you admitted to Marion County Sheriff Tim Bailey that her name was Dana or Diane. Dana. I would say Dana, 99%. What happened with that? She came to the house to tell me that she would pay for half of the subscription. And if I pay for the other half, I could tell she was scheming me. How did you kill her? I took, a ba- I took her into the basement and took a knife and stabbed her in the throat. I had company coming over soon. So there's a pretty big gap between Dana in 2005 and the next woman in 2015. What was going on during that time? I was in jail for a child support case. In and out of jail. How many kids do you have? Three. One with Steph, a daughter named Kaylee. She's 18 or 19 now. She's remarried. A son named Dylan who lives with my mom. He plays football. He's 17. Oh, really? What position? They move him around a lot to different positions. What about your third kid? Violet. She's four. That's a great age. Have any of your kids visited you since you went down? No. What about Rebecca Lacey? The coroner ruled that to be drug-related. I knew Rebecca. One day we were out playing pool at a bar, and I went to use the restroom, and I heard my money clip. Zip. She had stolen $4 from me. But the coroner rules it as an overdose. She was on something. She was a prostitute. So... Did you kill her? I strangled all of them except Dana. I choked her out of panic, then put a knife in her neck once. Let's talk about Candace Cunningham. You two were dating. For how long? Was she pregnant? No, she wasn't pregnant. We were seeing each other for about seven months. She was pretty violent and suicidal. I turned her into a psych ward for a week. Then we fought at the house in Richland for three to four days. Then the next day we'd get up and go for walks. She could, she could have run off and told police at any time. She would take handfuls of pills at a time, and I would and I would give her the water. How did you kill her? In the house. Then you burned down the house and went back to her body. Why? I had to hide her. Now the next woman, Elizabeth Griffith. How did you meet her? At the Croc Center. We would hang out and play games. Yahtzee, right? I think I read that in a report. Yeah, and some other games too. What happened with her? Why kill her? I'm trying to justify it as compassion. The short time I talked to her, she cried several times just about life, and how she couldn't find anyone to love her. She had a mental illness. Candace was beating herself up, too. They tried to put me on psych pills, but I didn't want anything controlling my brain. Are you remorseful? It's about 50-50. All I wanted to do was show Elizabeth that she wanted to live. I'd say, give me a hug. We're all in this together. I'd choke her until she said she wanted to live, and she just didn't. What about the woman you abducted who called 911? Did you meet her at Stone Creek Apartments along with Elizabeth, too? Yeah. We were going to get married. I wasn't going to kill her. She was very religious. She encouraged people, helped to see who they were. I would play badminton with her at the Stone Creek Apartments, and Elizabeth would be there. Was she helping you? Yes. Are you religious? I feel like I've always been religious. How about Stacy Stanley? Did you just see she had a flat tire, and that was how you met her? Yeah. Did you ever want to be caught? I wanted to be caught. I thought about turning myself in. Did you ever tell anyone that you'd killed women before? Yeah, in ways. 
I broke down crying for a long time to a different woman. To different women. Then I'd say something to confuse them. Are you a sex addict? Sex is a weakness, but you have control over it. So you've confessed. Why not plead guilty in court? I admitted it. I told my attorney that if he said it again in court that I'd speak up. Have you killed anyone else or just the five? And why not admit to it all at this point? No, there were just five. Let me see that list. Holds up a list of victims to the glass. Yeah, there were just five. Are you afraid of the death penalty? I admitted it. I feel I deserve the death penalty, but I also feel I can help some people in here. My problem is that everyone is telling me what to do. I'm just trying to free myself of what I've done. I'm afraid of the death penalty. I will have cases in Richland here and Marion, and there's time. I'd like to die on my own and not by the state. My attorney keeps telling me not to talk to anyone. I don't need you. I'm guilty. Is there any statement you would like to release to the public or to the victim's families, loved ones that are missing the victims? I'd like to ask those who know me to forgive me and the victim's families, the loved ones that are missing the victims. Anything else that you'd like to say? My bunkmate is crazy. He's an F3 or F4 registered offender. Have you ever messed around with other kids? No. I like older women, except for Candace. She was younger, but more of a friend. Thank you for your time. Thank you. So as you can see through that Q&A, you just get a little glimpse into the insight of Sean Great. And, you know, I think it plays back to what we were talking about earlier, that battle of that good versus evil that just wages a war in his mind that he just cannot control it. But he has that sense of what's right, but he has that sense of what's wrong. And the what's wrong sometimes just really takes him over. And, you know, it's not like you and I where the sense of what's wrong is, man, I know I really shouldn't drink that milkshake today, but man, I need one. And then you go get one. His is, I need to kill somebody. And it takes him over and he just does it. Yeah. And he's remorseful for it. I mean, he said it was tearing him apart. And that, you know, this guy, like any other, you know, convicted killer that we cover, I'm not remorseful in one way, shape or form that, especially when they admit the guilt, that that if they're sentenced to death and it's upheld, you know, I feel like that's what they deserve. But the only kudos I can give to this guy is he owned it, he confessed, and, you know, he he did plead not guilty, but he confessed and to all five, so. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. He definitely deserves a death penalty. This guy is just, he's a, he's a piece of crap. And, and being out on the streets, he clearly can't handle himself. And he's caused so much torment to many, many people beyond the five that he murdered. It's their families and loved ones who cared for them, who now are dealing with the grief of the stuff that he did to, to them, you know? And so it's, he deserves it. But at least in this respect, he's not one of those killers who can't admit fault in what they did and doesn't feel bad about it. Like he clearly does. He just couldn't control it. And that's the sad part of the story is if maybe there was a way that earlier in his life, if he had gotten some kind of help somewhere along the lines, that maybe he could have controlled it and not ended up murdering anybody. But, you know, because he has that good natured side to himself, but he just can't keep it that way. He just flips a switch and then he's off. Yeah. And not to mention that what the victim's families are going through, but, you know, we got a little bit of detail about this guy's three kids. Can you imagine being the child of this guy and the the stigma that that carries. One of them's 18 and 19, a 17-year-old son and a 4-year-old daughter that probably, this was 2016 at the time, so now she's 6 years old, but she still doesn't understand the gravity of who her real father is yet. No, and um, the ex-wife was interviewed on Dr. Phil, 
and I actually had some of that audio. I pulled it out because Dr. Phil's audio is super produced, so like it just didn't fit with our news narrative there. You know, it's all of a sudden this crazy music and dramatic effect around it that just didn't go well. But you know, basically, she was happy when she found out he got this. Like he was violent towards her and and you know treated her like garbage and she let him for a while and then she was just thankful she got out of it without getting injured you know and and being killed and uh you know that's kind of a theme with him and the people the women in his past that survived him after he started murdering women all right so that'll do it this week for the case of sean great we're going to wrap up here um on june 1st 2018 ashland county common pleas court judge ron forstoffel has ruled that Sean Great is sentenced to death by the way of lethal injection. Great also received a mandatory 90 years to life in prison and received a Tier 3 sex offender status. Outside of the courtroom, Prosecutor Chris Tunnell spoke to the media for the first time since Forsothel issued a gag order. The prosecutor said that there has been something positive to emerge from the sadness, noting the community rallied together after the murders. He said Ashland residents are now more vigilant. There's an increased awareness that the troubles of the world can come to Ashland Tunnel said. And as I alluded to earlier in this case, I can positively confirm this heightened awareness because I live in the Ashland area. This case has, you know, some personal sides to me at varying levels. And, you know, all I can say as as we wrap up is, you know, we all need to remain vigilant in our communities. You know, this kind of stuff is lurking everywhere. So, you know, we kind of wrap every case with, you know, be safe. But from a personal standpoint, that's, you know, more true than... I can really express. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I believe Ashland was planning, well, they demolished the house and then they were planning to resurrect some kind of memorial for the victims. And um, I don't know if you've heard or seen anything about that, but I'm not sure if they actually went through with it yet or if they're just still in the planning phases. It sounded like they were still planning it recently as four months ago. Yeah, they're still in the planning phases. But yeah, the, the houses are definitely gone. Both of them that were you know on that lot are gone now, so... And the planning is still underway for the memorial. Yeah, so, um, you know, just want to extend our sympathies to the families who've been, you know, left in his wake. And, you know, hopefully that now that he's sentenced and he's going to die for this, you can, you know, begin that grieving process and hopefully um, come out of it on the other side, you know, somewhat. You know, you never you never get over it but hopefully you can at least move on a little bit. All right, so that's it for us this week. If you enjoyed our show, please rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to support us financially, you can head to our website, www.killerpod.net, and click on the support button, or you can look inside of your podcast player, and there should be a link to that page as well. You could follow us on social media if you'd be so kind, like a bunch of other people have been doing. Uh, We're on Twitter, at killer underscore podcast. On Instagram, we are at Killer Podcast, no underscore. Facebook is facebook.com forward slash Killer Podcast, or you can email us, killerpodcast at gmail.com. Submit your case suggestions to us. We really appreciate that. We'd like to hear what you guys want to hear. So with that, we are going to sign off. Stay safe, everyone. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.